0: Hey everybody, I wanna give you a gift before we dive in. If you're at the beginning of your content marketing journey or if you've been doing it a while but it's not working as well as you want and you feel like something is missing, I wanna give you a roadmap to help you get more ROI out of your content. This is my blog remix method, and it's a shortcut to go from one blog to dozens of pieces of content in less than 60 minutes. Even if you have webinars, podcasts, and video content, you can take the transcripts and follow the guidelines in the exact same way. It's a great resource, it's free, you should have it. If you haven't downloaded it already, grab it right now at justinsimon.co slash remix. If you're listening to the podcast feed, you can click the link right below and download it. Get it, read it, apply it. It takes you step by step to get more value out of your blog content and get it in front of your audience. So grab the guide, get a blog, and get it running that's my blog remix method and it's free at justinsimon.co slash remix hey everybody before we get started i want to thank my friends at hatch for producing this episode you can get unlimited podcast editing and strategy for one flat rate by visiting hatch.fm all right let's get in the show Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. everybody, on today's episode of Distribution First, we're going to talk about one of the most neglected, but I think highest potential resources that you probably already have sitting on your shelf. You're just not using it to its highest potential. And I've got Joel Kletke here from Case Study Buddy to help us talk all the way through it. So awesome to have Joel on. Joel, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me and really pumped to dig in. Like you say, these are hiding in plain sight for most companies. So much opportunity to leverage them and pump to unpack some of that together.
0: Yeah. So I guess I'll pull the curtain out now and maybe you could assume from Joel's company name, but we're going to be talking about case studies today. We're going to be talking about customer stories. We're going to be talking about those really, really good pieces of content that Every company I've worked at wants them, usually has some of them, but typically, once they have them, have no clue what to do with them. They sit on an archive. You have a an entire page that I've built out in my career of customer stories, and we hope people will find them somehow, some way, either through our website navigation or other things like that. So, Joel, to start, I'm curious because, like I said, I've, I've had a lot of experience with customer stories, but usually not in a great light. Like I either think sometimes they're super boring or they're just not written with the intention that maybe they were supposed to, or they were really, really well-written and they weren't distributed how they... So I'm curious to start, what are what are some of those core myths that folks like me or other folks that you talk with maybe have around kind of case studies or customer stories in general?
1: Yeah, I think one of the key ones is that case studies are always reactive. I think most companies treat these as things that eventually spontaneously come to them oh someone left a review oh someone put up their hand in an email oh there's been a win and, and and they rush to react they rush to capture the story in reverse and and try to find okay what's what's their context who's the best point of contact and you know so I, I think there's this myth that case studies are something that you can't plan for or make inevitable I don't think that's true I think one of the most important mindset shifts coming at this whole type of content is how do we engineer these how do we make asking about how we're performing and and how the customer is doing and and how we're providing ROI for them and driving value for them how do we make that normal and how do we make it build toward something so i think that's a big one i think another big myth about case studies is that they're only valuable at the end of the buyer's journey. I think a lot of companies treat these like, okay, well, they're in that that last home stretch, time to bust out the case studies, you know, gotta Got to get them those stars across. And I think that's a huge miss. I think the myth that these things are only valuable in in certain sales situations is simply not true. We've seen clients deploy these really successfully from lead gen through to nurturing, through to upselling and cross selling, all the way through to closing deals and accelerating deals and, and even retention and churn. So it's not the case that these are only valuable in just one very small part of the funnel or the journey. I think another myth is that these are something marketing can do in isolation. I think a lot of companies want that to be the case. They task marketing with producing these, and by marketing, I mean that can be product marketing, that can be customer marketing and advocacy, that can just be content marketers. The label doesn't matter so much as the fact that those teams can't do these things in isolation. They're relying on other teams, right? And so you talk about well, why are some of these stories done without intention? Or why are they boring? Or why do they not exist in the first place? This is often the answer. There's not an internal alignment. There's no internal process between a sales team, CSM team, people on the front lines of customer engagement and projects, and then the marketing team responsible for Going on producing these, and when you have that chasm between teams, what winds up happening is you produce shallow stories, or you have teams infighting about who should be in stories, or you have one team placing unrealistic demands on another. So I think the myth that this is something marketing can do alone—you know—I think that's maybe not spoken aloud, but it's really, really pervasive. And then the final myth I think is that these stories have to be this very formulaic, okay, challenge, subhead, some bullet points, solution, a paragraph. We treat these without any imagination. Like most companies have great springs of creativity for their other content. We could do this video series, we could do this webinar, we could, we could do all this other cool stuff. And then when it comes to case studies, they just get slapped this very bland, like, oh, yeah, problem, solution, results. I think that's a hurtful myth. These stories don't need to be boring. They don't need to be formulated. They don't need to follow the exact same narrative arc each and every time. So those are four of the big, big myths that I think really hold companies back and prevent them from doing great stories or doing stories at all.
0: Love it. Love it. You've got me curious now because I think maybe I've been traditionally on the side that was very, I mean, very much the story structure or the structure of these case studies is that problem, pain, solution, success, what that looks like. What are some of the different ways that somebody might start to rethink how they either create those stories or literally frame them up with a different framework or write them into it with a different framework?
1: Yeah. I think... Start by thinking about the last few movies you saw or books you read. They all follow a similar flow. They've all got a beginning and there's character building and then things build up to a climax and then there's a resolution. And those elements are there in virtually every story, but that doesn't mean every story is the same. It doesn't mean we go on the same journey every time or that we respond or that the details or the characters are the same every time. I think, yes, there's always going to be some form of problem, some solution implemented or experienced and some sort of result. But I think where it starts, where you can start getting creative is first look internally and think, where are the gaps for us as a company? Like what business goals do you have? What revenue goals do you have? And who's responsible for enabling those goals? And I guarantee if you go talk to sales, Don't put any asks on them, but just say to them, where are their gaps? Like what deals are you having trouble closing? Where are we light on proof? Where's the competition eating our lunch? What are the biggest points of skepticism that you struggle to have an answer for right now? Have these kinds of conversations and you start to see, oh, there's actually lots of narrative arcs we could be exploring. So for example, some of them might be switcher stories company, you know, take a key competitor and telling stories about people who switched from that competitor to you and why they made that switch and what prompted it and what went wrong for them and how you resolved that. It might be implementation stories. It might not even be the actual usage. It might just be the implementation, especially for things like software, complex solutions. A lot of fear gets built up around how long is implementation going to take and and how hard is it going to be? Well, maybe you can tell stories about smooth implementations, you can have disambiguation stories, right? Let's say you're trying to penetrate a new market or enter a new industry, your appeal. To a new role, well, just because some contingent or some audience understands your value doesn't mean that the stories you tell in that space translate to another. You might want to vary up your storytelling or use case studies to demonstrate practically. Here's how our solution looks and works and drives ROI in your space or for your role. Because even between roles, right, the, the KPIs a marketer is measured on are different from someone in engineering or development or sales and what have you. So even thinking on a role level, so. It starts by looking inward, having conversations going, where are gaps? And then thinking, what types of stories could we tell to help close those gaps? And the bonus of coming at it this way is now you start to build that internal alignment right off the bat, because you've talked to these other teams, you've sussed out what you collectively need, and now you can all point to there's a story that applies there's a a client that would fit that sort of prototype we're looking for and it can be very galvanizing in terms of not only telling better stories driving more roi but getting internal teams aligned so yeah you can be a lot more creative i think with the actual storytelling bit there's also lots of opportunity to do things like mixed media bring in video and written or bring in audio and written Or, you know, one of my favorite examples is if you look at HubSpot has these new partner startup stories and they're aspirational. It's not necessarily all about HubSpot. HubSpot plays like a very downplayed role in these stories, but it's people you want to be like. It's people that HubSpot wants to sell to going, I want to be like that person, or I see myself in that person, right? They've done a great job of representing underrepresented groups and that sort of thing. So there's lots of ways to be creative with these things. You don't have to get stuck in your same old, same old pattern.
0: Yeah, and what you said there, I, I think was what was ringing back in my head was being able to... It almost forces you to have those conversations with those internal teams, which then makes the overall process better because then you're not having you're you're eliminating one of those core myths or those core pieces of the problem right off the bat versus actually having you can get ahead of it versus having to find yourself stuck in it at the front end. I'm curious with that, though. How do you start to think about, like you said, be proactive about these things? What are those type of things that you can do ahead of time to maybe there are some of those questions you had pointing out to the sales team or those conversations? But what are those things that you can do ahead of time to try to be more proactive and put case studies maybe more front of mind versus reactive like you talked about?
1: Yeah, I think starting internally, and so some of the things we've talked about, having these conversations around gaps and opportunities, but one of the really important things that will inform your strategy later on is not only what types of stories, what formats of stories. When you talk about repurposing these, you know, we often default to like, oh, I'm a video, we're a video company, or we're a written company. You know, it's we want the 1500 word deep dive, or we want the the two minute thirty video testimonial. And the reality is, there's so much in between those things that's valuable that gets overlooked. Like sales, for example, might go, we really need one sheets, we really need slide decks, we need something we can talk through, something much more concise. Those stories you're telling, they're great, but they don't work for us. And so having conversations around the types of stories and then getting out ahead of that by sort of mapping out the templates. What does the flow of these look like? What are we aiming towards? How will these flow and who are they for and what channels will we deploy on? Being intentional about that will influence how you retell that story later on. I think another thing you can do is recognize that You are going to need to get buy in from your customers, right? One of the biggest problems is getting customers on board. How do we make that easier? A couple ways. If you want to be really proactive, it's about mapping out the cadence of communication you have with customers and making talking about ROI and KPIs and how you're tracking normal way before you ever ask for a story. Working with reps and teams to say, when and how and who is checking up to see how are we doing? And whether you're a self-serve software or really hands-on service, there are natural inflection points, natural check-ins where you can do this. But beyond that, I think you wanna set consistent expectations. So working together to define, for example, okay, here is how we ask. Here is what an ask looks like. Here are the elements of a really good invitation to be featured in a story. And making sure that invitation is kind of extended uniformly so that one rep isn't going rogue and saying the process is 60 minutes and another is making a different promise. And some are saying, we'll use it in these ways. And some are saying, we won't have these consistent templates. You can stand up a bit of an SOP internally that has kind of your coverage gaps, the templates we just talked about, a little bit of shared criteria for what a win looks like. And what you're doing is empowering your team to be more proactive with the customer, which means you're gonna have this naturally more proactive approach to kind of getting customer stories. And then one more thing that you can do to be more proactive about cultivating this is put it on the calendar, right? One of the big challenges for marketing is, They build all this out, they do all this stuff, and then it's like flash in the pan and gone. And if you can put something on the calendar, maybe it's once a month, you know, the teams connect on like a wins Wednesday to just go through what's happening in accounts, go through, again, what are our priorities for this quarter, what clients might fit. Having these types of meetings that you can then, again, oh, we've got a win, we've got templates to ask, we've got formats to publish to, all of that. Now you're starting to architect this more proactive kind of, system and and this more proactive approach to getting customers involved, choosing the customers to be involved, making the ask in a consistent way. So you're kind of taking these little building blocks and starting now to build out a whole program as opposed to looking at these as one-off assets, which is kind of the status quo.
0: Yeah, I like that. And I think it ties in well with the idea you brought up around using these case studies throughout different parts of the funnel, because if you are going to like any other piece of content, want to get that out and distribute that and repurpose that and get that in front of your audience and at who are at a myriad of different levels, we obviously know not everybody wants to buy and everybody's ready. I'm curious, a, how many of these should a company be trying to do in a, at any given time at, or in any given year like you say make it a program and i love that i think typically people understand maybe intuitively as at least on the content marketing side like oh we need a cadence for our blogs and it's going to be this 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 or if i record a podcast we're going to do once a week every two weeks or once a month what what's the cadence or or how much do you think about somebody should or a company should think about when they're creating case studies. Yeah,
1: I think the infuriating answer is it depends because there's a <laughs> lot of factors that go in. But for example, like we looked at the top 50 software companies based on the US Stock Exchange and looked at, you know, not necessarily their cadence of publication, but how many do they have? And I think the median and mean were very close. It was like around the hundred mark. And that's shocking because if you're a small business or even a mid-sized business, you're going, well, we have only have a hundred clients. So the message is not, You need hundreds of these. But what I wanna encourage people to think about is going back to something we talked about earlier, the coverage gaps, the roles, the sales scenarios, right? A lot of marketers think, well, if we just get four great stories, then we can kind of shelve this and we're done and, and we'll have the collateral that we need. And I think that's a miss. I think in every customer win, not just your biggest logos, not just your highest metrics, not just your most sexy engagements, in every customer win, there's a story of someone who made a decision that someone else like them is debating, experienced a solution that someone else is nervous about testing out or, or debating trying out, and got a result that somebody wants. And so when it comes to a cadence or when it comes to you know, a volume, I think you want to be realistic, like if you have a customer base of 20 clients than thinking you're going to get a 50% win rate and be able to publish 10 stories in a year or like almost one a month. Unless you have incredible relationships and every client is like winning a lot, it's just not going to be doable. But I think for most companies as a starting point, no matter how big or small you are, setting a goal of even one a quarter as just to move things ahead. How can we focus on getting one really strong story a quarter? I think that's a natural place to start. And then as you grow and as your client base grows, the question of how many do we need just comes down to, okay, well, how many different roles are you trying to appeal to? How many different objections do you come up against? What different outcomes are people looking for? What kinds of industries are you penetrating? So I I think, you know, there's virtually infinite stories you could have, but look to your business goals and your revenue goals and constantly assess, where's there a gap? Where could we use more? And that will help you arrive at the answer that works more for you, and I think keeping the program alive and breathing in the same way your company is constantly growing, evolving, maturing, you know, it's not a one and done or, or even a, a season and done or a year and done. or You hit that early target and done. It's a constant dialogue between you, your customers and the market of where are we at now? How are we proving ourselves lately that you can engage in?
0: Yeah, so many thoughts and angles where my head's going, Joel, you're you're blowing my mind here. One of them off the top that I think through, I love the the quarterly cadence to start. I think there's something inherently useful about just having a number and then getting the motion to start working toward that. And I think that's useful. For me, a lot of the the frameworks that I teach people, I use this 3C method, which is cornerstone, core, and cut content, essentially a quarterly piece of some kind that then gets driven into more, whether that's blog content, podcasts, etc., that then get turned into social cut content. And I think a, a case study could have potential to drive and use that in the exact same framework. And I hadn't really thought about it until you started talking about that, but I'm gonna shift my brain here on this now. And and I'm curious on your thoughts on this because I think the other thing that that could force you to do if you said, okay, we're gonna do this every quarter and we're gonna create one really good case study, but then what else are we going to do with that case study throughout the quarter to then be able to show folks that this is out there? Because there's this story and it lives on the website. But then there are all these other potential things that we could do throughout that quarter as we're building the next one and release it. And then you can really start to build a little bit of a, a mini content engine solely around case studies.
1: hmm Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the goal, right? And so when you think about, well, what are some of the other things that we could be doing with these stories? I think the world's your oyster, but some of the things we see companies doing with them, for example, And even small companies who, again, they can do one great story a quarter. And and we're going to assume, for sake of argument, you've aligned this with a business goal or a revenue goal, like I've been telling you to. But let's say, for example, you're trying to break into a new industry. And yes, you've got your first case study in that industry. Well, here is what kind of mapping this out could look like, how you could leverage it across a quarter. I think, number one, okay, cold outreach, a shoe-in. Bake that into some of your cold outreach messages. Maybe try attaching a one-sheet, test out if you've got it, you know, a little... 30 second video or something that goes along with a follow up, but use that in your cold outreach and use that to kind of test out as lead gen. You can also deploy these really nicely in social ads. So taking that piece and and maybe it's a LinkedIn carousel that now you sponsor and it keys into the pain points or, or that industry. And now you've got this really succinct version that I can either click on and, and go ask for a demo or have a conversation. Or maybe it pushes me to like a resource or a checklist or an asset, but you can deploy it that way. Another way you can nearly immediately deploy any store you have is remarketing. So not just ads themselves, but remarketing ads. We've seen clients be really successful in if they have campaigns they're running, someone comes in, checks out a landing page, Instead of following up with like a push to demo or a call us now, remind them of the value with a story over time. It's not as aggressive a tactic, but it can really, really work because it's kind of this story selling approach. Uh, You might bake that case study into a newsletter. You might take that and, and bake it into a blurb that goes out. If you have a quarterly or monthly newsletter, you might bring it back once or twice through that. You can then, you know, think about if you have permission to do it, Maybe it's a QA style blog post. You've got this deeper dive piece that you've got in your resources section, but maybe it's a QA style post on your blog where it's an interview with X person about Y challenge and you take all of the quotes from the interview and mash it up a little bit differently. Now you've got a blog post that you can go and deploy. If you captured video, kind of what you were talking about with the cut content, right? Taking little snippets about the pain points, try those out in ads, try those out in social posts. Taking little snippets about the ROI, again, same thing try those out in ads, try those out in newsletters, posts embedded on your site and leverage in that way. So there's lots of things you can do near immediately when you have this story. But what's also really exciting is let's say you go through the year, and you've captured the four stories. Now you've got this body of stories that you can start to build on too. So one of the things that gets overlooked, but is really valuable is things like compendiums, we see clients doing nuclear decks where they combine stories into one asset that kind of has some high level quotes and value and sales loves those being able to send those out. You can do kind of a yearly roundup, you know, here's the the biggest stories from this year, the biggest ROI and use that as kind of a new piece of content. You can do a highlight reel style of video where you take the best quotes from each story. And now you've got, you know, four different people all talking about the pains being resolved or the outcomes being resolved. So There's some near-immediate kind of value with individual assets that then builds into these bigger assets once you've got a few under your belt. That's all pretty attainable short-term once you've captured this, got approval for it, and so
0: on. Yeah, you're speaking the language here on this show, Joel, uh, for sure, for sure. And I think... The nice thing, too, with that is when you get that story right at the top, all those pieces fit the ads. It's not like, is this the right ad? I mean, there might be some nuance there in terms of like getting the right quote or whatever, but it's not like, is this the right story that we should be telling as far as like from our marketing department? Because, yeah, it's the exact story we want to be telling from our marketing department. It's the exact story we want to be telling about our company. And I think if you're listening and you kind of merge these things together take Joel's sort of framework around case studies and take the whole framework around distribution first and the idea of distribution first, mash them together, and you have a crazy good strategy to create this content because when you know ahead of time, you know, you you rattled out, I don't even know how many things, probably close to 10 different things that you could do. Well, if you picked five of those and you knew the five ahead of time that you were gonna do, if you knew this is how we're gonna distribute this case study, when you ask the questions, when you start to build it, when you start, to, oh, we do need video, okay, that changes every other thing we need for this particular interview that we're going to do. We can't just do it over the phone. I've got to have a setup, but we got to make sure, you know, you, you have all those things pre planned ahead of time and it makes all of that so much better versus like, I've been there where you get done and you have something and you everything's retrospective. Oh, I wish we would have captured this. I wish we would have asked that. It would have been great if we would have had this framework for this, this, and this. If you plan that all out ahead of time, you will be way better off to be able to actually take that content, repurpose it, and repurpose it in a way that's going to work. Yeah.
1: And what I love about distribution first and the whole mentality you're describing is that matters all the more with case studies, that proactive thinking, that beginning with the end in mind, because it's high stakes you don't get a mulligan. Mm. You're asking for someone else's time and someone else's reputation. If you you know, build something internally, if it's just a piece that your team has written or what have you, most of the time you can go, okay, we didn't get this, but there's some way of us going back and amending that. With case studies, that's incredibly hard to do. Any interview-based content, that's really hard to do. And that whole distribution first mentality is something, for example, that we apply ourselves. We had this amazing opportunity where we worked with a company in the healthcare supply chain sort of niche in, in industry. Amazing company. And at a previous conference, they'd kind of just set up this video interview booth and, and captured whatever they could. and got tons of content. But then when it comes time to, okay, how do we go and leverage this? There's a lot of what you're saying. There's regret around. oh, if only we had asked this question. Oh, if only we had captured this type of piece, right? And that distribution first mentality that you're so tuned into, that you're spearheading, that you're really championing for clients and and for people in the space is so important because when we adopted that for ourselves, it, it changed, you know, we took that approach to the event that we were involved in and we can map out questions and we could go great these questions they're going to help us support the post session videos and the newsletters that go after these questions they're going to help us you know transform this into specific pain points for specific industries these questions they're going to help us get buy in to do this again next year with the next people who have to go through their legal and PR and all of that so that intentional planning that thinking that distribution first mentality whether it's case studies or anything is really important but especially customer driven content because you just don't get that mulligan. You don't get a do-over in most cases. It's You got to go in thinking. And I love that proactive kind of templated thinking through what do we really need and how do we want to use it? How do we want to distribute it?
0: Yeah, I was laughing as you were saying that because I have literally had this exact experience where we one year had an event, recorded a ton of content, had great interviews with really high level people and thought leaders in the industry came back and it was like, all right, what do we do with all this stuff now? And it was like, as I started as the content person, as you start to pull, you know, try to find the thread, the through lines for these things or how, you know, there wasn't always that thing that brought them all together to say like, I've got four really good interviews none of them are are all sort of cohesive enough for me to even do a roundup at the end of the year cuz they you know we didn't plan for that. So I think having those things in place it sounds like such a small thing but having those that foresight to know what you want to do and what you potentially could do with it at the end of the year or at a different time even can just make a make a huge difference as far as what we're doing. I think one thing I want to make sure we touch on before we get out of here is I think some people probably have case studies. So we've sort of talked about how to be proactive, how to get them, how we might want to do that. But there's also a whole host of folks out there that already have case studies. I've got, you know, four or five sitting on my website. Somebody in that situation, what are you suggesting? What do I need to look out for? Do I try to find the one or two that are really good? Do I throw away the rest that are Like, what do I even start with the, with the case studies that I have that are existing?
1: Yeah, I think before you do anything, what's really important with this specific content type is to remind yourself of what that customer agreed to and what you have released for. Because a lot of well-intentioned repurposing here, a lot of well-intentioned breaking it down into cuts, can go horribly wrong if your customer goes, "I didn't agree to have you use this in ads or something." Totally. So you want to really come back to you know what do we actually have buy-in permission to do? Start there, but. You're in a situation, if you've already got these, the reality is probably you're not gonna get new material. So it's a matter of looking at what do we got and how can we break that down? And some of the things that are very simple that can be done in most circumstances is for example, let's say you've got long form pieces. Very simple to take that and go, these are great for one circumstance, they're not great for sales. We're gonna break these down into one sheets, something really concise. We're gonna break them down into slide decks, something we can present live and then we're gonna break them down into social content, so pull quotes, or even combinations of carousels. That's something that, as long as you've got permission, most interview-based stories that you will have, they will be great quotes to pull from, there'll be a longer story to make more succinct, and there will be some collateral you can combine to kind of have this sort of, even just demonstrate the volume of proof. From there though, if you if there's other collateral that if you have it, you can do more. So let's say, oh, we wish we got video. We didn't get video, we only got audio. We do still have though the original audio. That's great, you can leverage that. So one of the things that gets really overlooked, like, oh, we didn't get them on camera, it's a loss. That's not true, you've got their voice. And so what you can do with that is either transform it into audiograms and sort of like you do with podcasts, right? You can have the waveform, the caption, you can embed that right alongside your video, uh, your written pieces, rather, and that can add a layer of credibility. Or you can also, you know, I've seen some really creative and interesting animated types of content where they take that voice, they almost use it like a voiceover, and they animate. And now you do have this kind of interactive collateral you can test out and deploy. But I think with the story you've already got, take stock of: does this still align with who we are? Does it still serve a business or revenue goal? What do we have permission to do or buy to do? And then start by going from big to small, just big piece down to one sheet, down to slide deck, down to social posts, and then out into, okay, maybe it's a carousel now. Maybe it's a compendium if they work together. Look for, as you talked about earlier, sometimes they're not there, but look for common threads between these stories. Is it industry? Is it role? Is it outcome? see what you can do to bring those together but there's no reason to let them kind of rot on the vine even if all you did was take some blurbs from them and deploy them in your newsletter or redeploy them as like a monthly or quarterly customer feature on social like here's how x did y and call it a monthly customer feature you know those are all small things you can do with the content you have that hopefully will help inspire more to come in, give you more leverage from what's already there, and just not be in the situation where it's sitting in one place, in one format, hoping someone stumbles across it. You can be proactive about just promoting those pieces and making sure they get in front of the right people, right down to things like remarketing campaigns or taking pull quotes and using them in ads. All of that content is there for you to build on as long as you've got permission to do that.
0: Yeah, love that. Great note on the permissions Uh, that can definitely bite you if you don't have them. And if you don't have them, then probably just shy with some caution and maybe don't use that story, find a different one. So Joel, this has been super fun. I I feel like we're we're super aligned on this stuff. Uh, I feel like there's going to be a ton of information here for folks to take away. I have literally rethought. How I think about a case studies just within this 30 minute conversation. And I'm like wishing uh, you know, there's a company who wants me to, you know, go out and help them repurpose and distribute their case studies. If that's you, hit me up. But I think like that's a super exciting thing. I think they're like after talking, like they are a truly powerful piece of content if done right. And even if you just have one or two really solid ones sitting on your site, I think you just laid out a whole bunch of other ways that you can pull that stuff out and start using it within your current ecosystem. So super fun, great conversation, Joel. Thanks for coming on, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm excited to get more people rethinking the way that they look at these, right? Again, you can bake them into, you know, you've got this other content you're repurposing. Well, if there's a story that thematically aligns, like bring that in. There, there's just like layers on layers on layers of ways to use them. And, and I think if nothing else, if people leave this conversation just thinking, one thought, case studies don't have to be end of funnel. They don't have to be in just one format. If, if that's all you leave with and then apply this distribution first mindset to the ones that you have and create in the future, you are going to be miles ahead of average because the average company, even the billion dollar ones, they're deploying one way, one place, one time. So this is a chance for you to be more agile, be more creative, and more importantly, do more with less, which is what so many companies are trying to do right now.
0: Love it. Love it. That's a great way to close. I'm not even gonna not even gonna ramble on it any more than that. Joel, thanks for coming on and uh, we'll definitely chat soon. We'll have you on again, man. It's fun.
1: Yeah, cheers. Thank you.
0: All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode of distribution first. And thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so much so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are going to help you build your brand, 10x your content and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.